Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. It feels like the last two years have been this renaissance for airplane freakouts, but this most recent one that went viral is probably the most relatable. So this happened on the airline JetBlue, which the Wall Street Journal ranked the worst airline in 2021, even below Spirit and Frontier, which is saying something. What happened this week on flight 1582 from Cancun to JFK in New York, probably gonna keep them there. So reportedly due to stormy weather, the flight has to abort its landing at a JFK three or four times, though there are conflicting reports on this. You can even see how wild the path is on the flight tracker. And it reaches this point where the pilots are like, okay, fuck it. This is too crazy. Let's land at Newark Liberty International, which is just 33 miles away from JFK. And that is where the real fun begins. And by fun, I mean how people use literally these days as the opposite of that thing. With the crew informing the passengers that instead of letting them off there, hey, we're gonna take off, we're gonna try to land at JFK again. But after being delayed and stuck on this bumpy, nauseous flight where a lot of people thought they were going to die. Many of the passengers were not having it, getting into disputes with the crew, demanding that they and their families or their kids get off this plane. Some getting out of their seats, one guy saying, hey, just arrest me. Look man, this I'll do something gay. crazy, you can arrest me. All of that leading to this other guy standing up and delivering an impassioned plea to the flight attendants. Officer, my kids are panicking. People are sick back there. We gotta get off this plane. We don't wanna be on this plane. It's yeah, dangerous. We tried to land four times already. I, I, it's dangerous. We're scared to fly. We want to get off. Take me to jail. Please take. I don't want to go to jail, but it's not right. We're six hours. It's a three-hour flight. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. We just want to get off. I don't care about JFK. It's our lives. I don't want to go up. It's our lives. I'm sorry. Obviously, it was dramatic. People are sick back there. People are fainting. People are throwing up. A little respect for human beings. The flight attendant then argues back that not everyone wants to get off and this happens. But the whole ordeal eventually coming to an end about an hour later, the weather clears up, they take off, they land at JFK. JetBlue ultimately apologizing, saying they couldn't let people off at Newark because the flight didn't have access to proper customs processing. But you also had one passenger telling reporters, they told us we would have to wait hours for customs at Newark or 20 minutes to go back to JFK where we still had to wait hours anyway. And reportedly for compensation, JetBlue gave each passenger a whopping $50 flight credit, which many have called insultingly low for the stress everyone had to go through. With the person who filmed the video we saw before saying the lack of compassion that we got was something I don't think anyone on the flight will ever be able to get over. And very interestingly, this has not been a very good week for JetBlue, especially with this specific airport. Just days prior, you had Yomi Rong, a wheelchair-bound woman, describing in real time in this viral Twitter thread how the airline abandoned her on the tarmac after landing where she sat in the rain for an hour, saying three employees insisted the entire time to her sister who was waiting for her that she was on the way. And then after finally getting to leave the airport, tweeting, P.S. JetBlue broke my chair. I'm holding a piece of it in my lap on the drive into Manhattan. This concludes today's episode of Disability Fuckery. But yeah, I think where I want to end this story is what would you have done if you were on that flight? Because if someone on this show who is constantly preach, you know, be nice to the flight attendants. So many of these freakouts are unjustified. I relate and understand this one the most. Like if I think I was on that flight and they wouldn't let me off, I'd be like, okay, I'm taking the mask off. What are you gonna do? I'm a rule follower, but fuck you. I'm an anti-masker till I get off this plane. Also, for legal reasons, I'm just joking. So remember this? You also have people saying maybe he just reversed course because he actually wants to do something bigger. Or because since Elon did not join the board, he's also now no longer legally bound to an agreement that he signed with the company, promising not to purchase more than 14.9% of Twitter and take over the company. So in other words, he could keep still adding to his stake in the company and effectively gain more power. Yep. 
Elon's trying to buy Twitter. What a weird roller coaster this has been. It's like Elon Musk buys 9% of Twitter. He's gonna be on the board. Never mind. No, he's not. He's gonna buy the whole company. Officially today launching what's been described as an attempted hostile takeover. Now having filed documents with the SEC attempting to buy the platform for $54.20 a share because of course 420. And this would value Twitter at $43 billion, which is higher than their current valuation of $37 billion, though still lower than their all-time high. And regarding the drop from that all-time high, this current offer and the future, Elon said in his filing that this was his best and final offer, that it's a high price and your shareholders will love it, arguing that the company needs to be taken private, and if this deal doesn't work, given that I don't have the confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. And in this, noting Twitter has extraordinary potential, I will unlock it. Following the release of this news, we saw Twitter's shares go up, though it has dropped as we got into the afternoon, though that might have changed by the time you're watching this video. And as far as what Twitter has said so far, not really much as of right now. Issuing a statement confirming they received what they called an unsolicited non-binding proposal from Musk and adding the Twitter board of directors will carefully review the proposal to determine the course of action that it believes is in the best interest of the company and all Twitter stockholders. And according to reports, in making this decision, the board can't just say it doesn't like Musk. It has to come up with real reasons to reject his offer. This including things like whether it values the company fairly and if Musk has the funding. And that last point is actually notable because even though Musk is the richest man in the world, it's currently unclear if he has enough liquidity to actually buy Twitter as nearly all his wealth is tied up in his shares of his company. Musk even acknowledged that today saying he's not sure he'll actually be able to pull it off, though he did claim he has sufficient assets. As far as the public reaction of the news, two very different responses. Right? Some absolutely loving it, thinking that Elon Musk can take Twitter to some sort of next level, and or at the very least he can pull back and reverse what people see as kind of wide censorship, right? whether that be for everyday users, all the way up to former President Trump being banned on Twitter. And then if you jump to the other side, I mean, you have people worried about some of those same things, with people saying they're worried that he's gonna reopen a toxic door that led to very, very dangerous things happening, arguing that in instances like with Donald Trump, it's not a free speech issue, it's a safety issue. With a good chunk of the country and also in internationally, people seeing Trump having stoked violent fires. But for those people, they're kind of getting bit by the other end of their argument, which has always been, you know, Twitter is not stopping free speech, right? They're not violating the First Amendment because Twitter is a private company and they can do as they please. But with that non-governmental body, that company does will drastically change under new ownership. But as far as what actually happens, what is this going to look like? We're gonna have to wait to see, though I, I do think that Mark Cuban had an interesting take on this. Writing in a thread this morning, every major tech company, Google, Facebook, et al., is all on the phone with their antitrust lawyers asking if they can buy Twitter and get it approved. And Twitter's on the phone with their lawyers asking which can be their white knight. Gonna be interesting. And adding, Elon may have started this, but his threat to sell his shares, if Twitter says no, open the door for these tech giants to walk in for relatively little money and grab huge influence at Twitter, or possibly a direct path to acquisition. Elon will smile all the way to the bank, because remember, he still owns 9% of the company right now. And adding, wanna see the whole world lose their shit? Get Peter Thiel to partner with Elon and raise the bid for Twitter. Though also noting, I think Twitter will do everything possible to not sell the company. They will try to get a friendly to come in and buy Elon shares and get him out. Also, notably today, Elon Musk did a TED talk where he talked about a number of things regarding Twitter. And I'll link to it down below so you can watch it. Or I'll end this story is, yes, while I understand it is big news that Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter, I would also like to make news and be a part of the change that I wanna see, which is why, following reports coming out saying that CNN Plus only has about 10,000 daily users, I would like to put out my formal acquisition offer to CNN. I will buy CNN Plus, 100% of CNN Plus for $13,000 and a waffle maker. Ball is in your court. But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, SeatGeek. Beautiful bastard summer concerts are here. And that means you can get $20 off of tickets at SeatGeek when you use promo code Phil. Right, and if you don't know what SeatGeek is, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. I've got the app on my phone and it's by far and away the best way to buy tickets. You know, I use SeatGeek to go to the Super Bowl. While in New York, I used it to see Hadestown, which is absolutely amazing. And watch the Rangers clinch their spot into the playoffs. Plus with so many amazing concerts and festivals happening right now, you're not gonna wanna miss out. I'm talking the weekend, Billy Island, 
as Justin Bieber, Bad Bunny, and so many more. And SeatGeek wants to make sure you get a good deal. So when you're on the app, look for the green dots. Green means good deal, red means bad. And don't worry, I've got the hookup. Use code Phil for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase when you use promo code Phil. Just make sure you click the link in the description and download the app. And then, in online entertainment news, I had a lot of people sending me those asking me if I agree, I disagree. So as you might be aware, iDubs, right, he's a long time massive YouTuber. He's launching an influencer boxing event. It's called Creator Clash. I personally think it's got a great lineup. He's fighting Dr. Mike. And unlike pretty much every other influencer boxing event we've seen, the, the main focus of this is charity. Personally, I'm a thousand percent at least buying the pay-per-view. I might even go. But iDubs, the guy hosting the next influencer boxing event, just uploaded a video called Why I Hate Influencer Boxing, where he kind of noted the areas where the space needs to change and where it's not genuine. Talking about how specific creators have gotten in the space, like Jake Paul and Bryce Hall. Though you have iDubs arguing, and I agree that whether you love him or hate him, Jake Paul really doesn't feel like an influencer boxer anymore. He actually feels like he's ascended, but he still does engage in what iDubs calls out. Big bets, steaks, and beef to add to the events, saying they diminish them, like the tattoo stun. Also noting that Bryce Hall and Austin McBroom did the same thing when they said they were gonna put a million dollars on the line. But also saying it's not just the fact that they're faked, right? Let's say they were even real, saying that that's not productive. I just feel like you're already beating the out of each other. Why do you need to add this weird element of humiliation? And saying he feels the same about the orchestrated drama and beef involved in these events. Arguing also doesn't even help sales-wise. I'm an adult. I have no reason to talk about Dr. Mike, nor does he have reason to talk about me. And we've seen previous events and what has come out of faking beef and talking trash. Bryce Hall and Austin McBroom embarrass themselves. This is the most out of touch, awful thing that potentially did not result in any kind of sales. And they tried to make a million dollar bet and do all of this dramatic shit. And it resulted in a, a loss of $10 million. And then on top of all of that, he thinks because of this mess, a lot of people aren't taking the sport seriously and they should. Personally, I agree and disagree on certain points. I agree that a number of the people that have taken part in these events, they don't take it serious and either they or the person they're fighting is gonna get hurt. Especially since in a recent number of events, people have just done illegal moves. Like shit that could really inflict some pain. Like repeated and blatant headbutts. But I, I do disagree with the idea that beef does not help. Like, I do agree that a lot of Austin McBroom, Bryce Hall shit was corny. And it is lame when in addition to fake beef, there is fake steaks. But the fake or exaggerated beef is just, it's part of this game. Or you had iDub saying it's something he enjoys in WWE, but it's something I think works in general. I mean, for the people that watch professional fighting, how many times have like, we've gone into the press conferences and it's like, I'm gonna kill you and blah, 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 blah. And then either before or after they fight, it's like, it's a love fest. Thanks for getting me my bag. I love you. But also understand, I don't think that's gonna take away from Creator Clash because like I've openly said, I think I'm probably most excited for this event. Like I think the influencer boxing event I loved the most was Logan Paul versus KSI. Like that first card, you didn't know what to expect. And so with Creator Clash, I'm like, this is the surprise egg, the, the Pokemon unboxing equivalent of influencer boxing. Or like, is Harley from Epic Mealtime gonna just go in wildly and <laughs> do this? Or is that bell gonna ring and he like Superman punches Aaron from Game Grumps? That's why I'm in, but what do you think? And the other bit of influencer news is that it was Logan Paul's fault. That is not specific enough. I'm talking about the Caller Daddy podcast. Or if you don't remember, it was a podcast started by Alex Cooper and Sophia Franklin. They get scooped up by Dave Portnoy and Barstool Sports. That then famously leading to 2020 where there were contract negotiations between them and Barstool Sports that turned sour. That ultimately leading to Alex taking Barstool up on the last offer. Sophia didn't, so she ended up on the outs. With Alex then later moving on to Spotify as part of a 
whopping $60 million deal. And for her part, Sophia is still podcasting, hosting a show called Sophia with an F, but uh, yeah, seemingly missed out on that payday. And one of the things with this story is that there were a ton of people involved, not just Alex and Sophia. And there have been rumors for a long time, you know, what started the situation, with Dave Portnoy, of course, chiming in, often pinning some of the fallout on Sophia's unwillingness to sign as well as her boyfriend. But while speaking on the Full Send podcast yesterday, he had more details on what went down and his thoughts and how it played out, with him claiming that Logan Paul was the surprising catalyst for the craziness. I remember they went out and did a podcast with um, Logan Paul. I think they did Impulsive. Yeah. And Logan asked them, I think, how much they're making. And, and they answered. And he's like, whoa, you guys are getting screwed. And that was the beginning of... Um, the contract stuff. Though Dave did know that Barstool knew that the podcast was worth more, but they didn't anticipate that it would grow so quickly. They got so big so fast that that original contract got like outdated instantly almost. Which I will say as someone that's hired on-screen talent over my career, I agree with that statement. Contracts are often built to address what happens 99% of the time when you have that 1% show that just hits this thing that you didn't expect because it started from almost nothing. It's gonna lead to tense times and people feeling like they're getting fucked over. And with Caller Daddy remaining one of the biggest podcasts in the world right now, it's not a shocker that when he was talking about the winners and losers of this whole situation, he said... Well, Alex got a, a three or $60 million deal from Spotify, so I'd say she did okay. Yeah, Sophia cost herself a lot of money. But... <laughs> yeah, Sophia, man. That's met one of the worst decisions ever made by a human. Then we had Instagram in the news because of this new report from a nonprofit called Fairplay, in which they reveal the massive scale in which Instagram promotes pro-eating disorder content to its users, including children. The report looking at what it called an eating disorder bubble, which includes nearly 90,000 unique accounts, with those accounts reaching 20 million unique users. And while the median age of the bubble is 19, there are children as young as nine and 10 following three or more of these accounts, and over one third of those in the bubble are underage. And this is a nice little profit center for Meta, Instagram's parent company, getting $2 million in revenue a year from the bubble itself and another $228 million from those who follow it. With the report noting, in addition to being profitable, this bubble is also undeniably harmful. Algorithms are profiling children and teens to serve them images, memes, and videos encouraging restrictive diets and extreme weight loss. And noting, Meta's pro-eating disorder bubble is not an isolated incident nor an awful accident. Rather, it's an example of how, without appropriate checks and balances, Meta systematically puts profit ahead of young people's safety and well-being. And some of the specific examples of the content from these accounts is really upsetting. Or when you have people posting their calorie counting apps, there are examples of people saying things like, like they're on their third day of eating just 300 calories in a day. With children writing their current weights and goal weights in their bios, as well as other messages saying they hate food or they're starving for perfection. And the thing that's really rough is the report notes that some of these people want to recover, but they're essentially algorithmically trapped with the report adding. Despite many of the biographies of users in this bubble talking about wanting to or being in recovery, wanting to get better, to heal, or being aware of how unwell they are, these users, because of Instagram's algorithm, will continue getting this content. With the report even including a first-hand account from a 17-year-old eating disorder survivor turned activist who wrote, I felt like my feet was always pushed towards this sort of content from the moment I opened my account. This, despite saying she never sought this content out, it just appeared for her. With a report coming to the ultimate conclusion that there needs to be legislation that regulates these platforms and requires them to prioritize user safety, especially with children. But ultimately, that is the end of that story and today's show. As always, thank you for watching, taking part in the conversation down below. My name is Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow. No, I won't. That was a lie. Monday.